You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Whether you're looking for a car battery or batteries for your trail cameras, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Now, you can go to their website, interstatebatteries.com, and check out all the information about the companies and the kinds of batteries that they offer. Or you can just go to your local Interstate Batteries retail store. There's like 200,000 of them across the entire United States and ask one of the specialists that work there. Interstate batteries, outrageously dependable. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we have a good old-fashioned BS session, and uh, we're going to be talking with Darren McDougal. He is an outdoor writer uh, for a variety of magazines. He's a freelancer, and uh, he writes about what his passion is, and his passion is hunting. Uh, And we just kind of shoot from the hip today like we always do, talk a little bit about where he came from, why he likes likes writing, why he likes hunting, and then the perfect merger as far as his job is concerned, which is writing about hunting. So that's what today's topic is. I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast. It's short and sweet and to the point. And uh, I know that I enjoy these type of podcasts because I like bullshit with people. Uh, And I think that's like why God put me on this planet was he's like, Daniel, go out, young man, and bullshit with the nations. And uh, (laughs) I guess I've taken that to heart. And this is a good BS session. So before we get into this podcast, Wasp Broadheads, right? You guys, you guys hear me talk about these products all the time uh, on you know when I when I share my stories of hunts and whatnot and I'm I'm not joking yet I love this company right they're some amazing uh, amazing people uh, as far as the company and who works there and who runs it I've got the opportunity to meet a lot of them and they're just really good people and like I say all the time I really enjoy working with people that I like and who are just overall good people and uh, that's definitely uh, a reflection of Wasp. Um, Also, let's not kid ourselves, their products are badass too, right? I mean, I am a huge fan of the fixed blades this time of my life. I've killed tons of deer in the past with the jackhammer uh, broadhead. I'm a huge fan of the uh, Boss 4-blade. I know that uh, one of their engineers... um, is trying to talk me into using the new Havilon. And you can read up on all of the broadheads, the specs and whatnot, what the material is um, at their website, wasparchery.com. Go ahead, take a look, and uh, it'd be cool if you uh, had a 
had a wasp on the end of your I don't know what their old catchphrase was uh, catchphrase was, was like sting them sting them with a wasp but uh, uh, yeah I mean it'd be cool if you had uh, a wasp on the end of your arrow this year now if you do decide to go to their website and purchase uh, enter the discount code nine fingers that's the number nine followed by the word fingers and you will save 20% off of your purchase right so uh, if you spend a hundred bucks you're only gonna pay 80 right so simple math 20% off nine fingers all right Enough of this. Let's get into today's podcast with my new friend and chigger biting buddy, <laughs> Darren McDougal. All right, on the phone with me right now, Mr. Darren McDougal. How you doing, man? Hey, Dan. I'm doing great. How about yourself? Well, I think me and you right now have something in common, and that is chigger bite scabs on our legs. Yeah, you know what? It's been almost two weeks i guess since we got back from our texas trip and yeah i'm still i'm still a bit itchy and and some of the bites are still lingering unfortunately but you know uh texas was so much fun that i guess uh, i guess we can say that the chigger bites were worth it oh man i my legs look my legs look straight up disgusting like i'm some kind of drug user i mean I got scabs all over my body, and I'm I'm still like I still itch them, and then every once in a while, y'all catch one that and it bleeds, and it's just gross. It's not like it's not really like poison ivy. Like for me, poison ivy dries up in about a week, and uh, it's it it doesn't itch as much after you know a week. But now, like this these shakers, man, they're driving me crazy. I still remember a conversation we had over the kind of the hors d'oeuvres before dinner one night down in Texas, and we were talking about chigger bites of all things. Surprise, surprise. And uh, I, I specifically remember you using those exact words. Dude, <laughs> my, my legs are disgusting. <laughs> as, as a group, we collectively found a lot of humor in that. <laughs> Absolutely. Good stuff. Well, I think uh... – well, we'll BS a lot today, but uh, one thing I, I kind of want to get in into is the first question I want to ask you is why don't you tell everybody where do you live and then what you do for a living? Yeah, so I live in Antigo, Wisconsin. It's just a small community in kind of north central Wisconsin. I grew up here. Um, I've been here kind of my whole life. My wife and I did have a bit of a hiatus when we lived in a camper, a fifth wheel camper for two years kind of traveled the country and hunted and, and that type of thing. But, yeah, I grew up here in Wisconsin. It's a beautiful place to be, um, especially in the summer and the fall. However, the hunting can be hit and miss, so I do a lot of traveling. Um, along with that, uh, my full-time gig right now is full-time freelance outdoor writer and photographer. Uh, my bride, Becca, also helps out with my photography, and she's uh, tapped into some pretty good uh, gigs herself within the industry as far as selling her her work um but yeah i've edited three different pretty prominent magazines in the past and uh i'm pretty fortunate to just be doing kind of my own thing and freelancing i i worked for several different uh magazines as a contractor as well as uh submitting work to several outdoor and bow hunting related websites and i i definitely um you know, it's it gets to be a grind being behind the desk a lot, but at the same time, I get to spend a lot of time out, you know, outdoors hunting in the fall and the spring, and those are the two times that I just love to be outdoors. So that's kind of kind of what I do um, as far as how I got started. 
Uh, this is kind of a, a story that's pretty near and dear to me, and I sometimes get a tad emotional, even though I'm pretty uh, strong-willed. Uh, my grandma uh, died at you know a relatively young age from a disease called ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Yep. And um, while she was uh, in bed ill, um, I had shot a really, really big bear here in Wisconsin just the previous fall before she was diagnosed, and, and she was still out and about at that time when I did get that bear. But then um, it was kind of odd because I had hated anything to do with writing or English um, growing up in school. And uh, just a side note, my mom actually homeschooled uh, all of my siblings and I. So we, um, you know, we, we come from a little bit different background than, than many folks. But anyway, um, where was I at? So my grandma kind of challenged me to, to write an article about that bear and it kind of took me off guard because I hadn't told her that I was actually thinking about it, but I actually had been. Um, and so I submitted an article. I put it, put together what I felt was a pretty good article, uh, submitted it to Bowhunter magazine and I got a letter back, which just floored me. And I was like, all giddy, like, you know, at least I'm getting an answer. You know, I'm not just being left in the dark and Dwight Shue, um, who has since passed away, uh, just a wonderful man. He gave me an opportunity he, he said, I can tell that you're a good student. I can tell that you're serious about this. You shot an impressive animal. And if you can cut your story length down, um, I'd love to love to run your article in, in our magazine. So I did just that. I sent the article back, and, of course, doubt creeps in. And I'm sitting there, you know, all pessimistic, like, oh, he just probably crumpled it up and threw it out. And about a month and a half after I had sent it in, I got a letter of acceptance, and that's how I launched my writing career. So I'm pretty pretty fortunate for those chain of events, and kind of my grandma, you know, inspired me to chase my dream. Yeah, that's a that's an awesome like. Uh, if this was one of those comic book movies, that would be the origin story, right? Of, of how of how you got into doing what it is that you do now now the question i have for you is i've also in the past done some done some writing and i feel like for me it gets tedious and and stuff so how do you how do you find i guess inspiration in what it is that you write so you don't get bored you know i think every writer um, maybe I shouldn't speak for everyone, but I think most writers do have what's called writer's block every now and again, you know, kind of a, a season where things don't come as easily and where you're maybe not quite as passionate about it. But the thing for me that always inspires me to keep going is not only um, bringing in money to, you know, to keep the wheels turning, but but also every once in a while I'll get an email or a phone call or I'll bump into somebody and they'll say, Hey, I read your article. And that means the world to me. I'm kind of a words of affirmation type of guy. Um, I think I do a good job because I give everything, you know, 110%. But, uh, you know, until I have that, that affirmation from someone, you know, I, I do start to think too much and I do start to, you know, wonder, is anybody even reading my work or is this even worth it and all that. But then I get those words of affirmation and it just, it just like fuels my fire to, to keep going. And from a creativity standpoint, um, it's not something I can explain. Uh, I, I have family members all the time and friends who ask me, how do you keep think, thinking of things to write about? And it, it's, it's just not something I can put my, my finger on. It's just a gift that I feel God has given me. 
and I just uh, I just want to give him the the glory for my ability to have that creativity because it's it's obviously not something that I can do on my own. Yeah, it's almost kind of like when you when you talk about not being able to explain it. I feel that that's how that's my passion towards hunting is why do you hunt? And I can do a pretty good job, but I don't feel my explanation ever gives my passion for hunting justice, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think the big thing is for me is we do, my wife and I do eat exclusively, um, as far as red meat, we exclusively eat venison. We haven't, you know, bought beef or anything. And I think a lot of people use that explanation, but how many people actually do exclusively eat venison? I'm not sure, you know, what those numbers would, would, uh, shake out like, but we, we truly do. Um, the only time is if we're traveling and we got to grab a burger or something, you know, on the road, but yeah. when we cook at home, it's 100% venison and we eat a lot of wild Turkey. But beyond that, I, I just feel alive when I have a bow in my hand, when I, step out on public land, uh, national forest, especially when we go elk hunting every year. I, I feel like, like I'm not a caged animal at the desk anymore. Like I can, I can just go and live. I feel alive. If that makes any sense. And I don't think you can explain that other than if you could just hand a bow to somebody and say, here, go do what I do and see how it makes you feel. Yeah. That's a fact, man. Well, taking a, a backward step here, you mentioned you exclusively only eat you know, venison as far as your red meat is concerned. How big of a commitment was that? Um, you know, I actually came from a family who didn't really know how to cook venison. Uh, my dad hunted growing up, but didn't shoot a lot of game. Um, you know, and his dad, you know, shot a deer occasionally, but I think a lot of it is just knowing how to cook it. And believe me, there were some, some, uh, renditions of our, venison that you know didn't turn out very well over the years and you're kind of like oh you know that that yeah. didn't that wasn't great how could i how could i live exclusively on that but you learn little tricks how to care for meat how to how to treat the the carcass you know once you've um successfully gotten an animal and just really um putting your care and compassion into every single meal that you cook because that's what it takes to to make wild game taste great and, and when you do that I don't know. I I know everybody has different taste buds, but I I find it hard to beat. You know, like an antelope loin or a, an elk tenderloin. I mean, it's it's the best of the best as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, absolutely. So I I mean, obviously, two people can eat a lot of venison over the course of a year. Um, my family always runs out, and whenever even if I shoot one doe and one buck, we always run out. Um, so how many deer between you and your wife do you guys try to harvest to keep the, the supply up with the demand? Well, uh, it all depends on, on how many tags I've got and how many states I'm hunting. Cause I'll, I'll always, I'll always shoot game, even if we have enough, because there's always, uh, people in our families who will take any excess and then use it, you know, to the, to the, to, to nourish their families. And so, um, it's never a question of, should I be shooting another animal? It's, I know that this animal is going to get used the same way that I would use it if my freezer wasn't full. So like last year, for example, I shot a bull elk in Idaho with my bow 
and Lord blessed me with another bull in Colorado on a rifle. So we had two elk, and I'm telling you, man, it just felt really rewarding to be able to gift a lot of meat to uh, my family, her family, and also just some friends and and stuff like that. So and it's neat because a lot of people from Wisconsin, you know, don't get to try elk on a regular basis. So yeah, I mean, I guess if if I was to put a finger on the number of deer that, that we would go through, I would say two, probably two good sized bucks. Um, you know, we could definitely wear that out. I think in a year's time ourselves. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So now kind of even going back to the, the writing side of things, um, you know, you talked a little bit about writer's block and what, what not, like, what do you enjoy writing about the best, the most? You know, there's a huge movement on the DIY angle of bow hunting and public land, and and I'm very passionate about teaching others because I have had a lot of experience. I've been bow hunting for about 17 years now, and uh, basically grew up with a bow in my hands. So it's all it all fascinates me. But I guess what I really love is just reminiscing on successful stories, and I don't think enough magazines. Uh, do that anymore or um, online blogs and such I think so much of it is DIY oriented honestly it's tough to tell someone how to do something the same way you know or I guess in different ways excuse me you know umpteen times so I think it's really because every success story is different there's no two that are identical and I think that that's one of the things that allures me to bow hunting and writing is is that you can tell a different story every single time on your successes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you're referring to is I, I call it the top 10 uh, articles that you read in a lot of these magazines where it's just like the top 10 ways to kill a buck during the rut, the top 10 ways to kill a buck during late season, the, the strategy uh, articles that tend to be just regurgitated every single year. Yeah. And I definitely get asked to write, you know, stuff like that quite a bit. And, you know, my, my biggest thing is I'm not going to fill somebody full of something that I know but don't do. I talk about things that I actually do when I'm hunting. And if I get assigned to write an article uh, on something that maybe I'm not considering myself an expert at, I make sure to interview somebody who is and incorporate their uh, wisdom into it because I think that every article – should be written credibly and also should provide the reader with something valuable. And if you're just writing about what you know and what you, and, and not what you're do, doing yourself, um, I think that you're not a, not a credible writer if you're taking that approach. So I, I just make sure that there's validity to everything that I, that I write. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about this then. Um, what do you find so attractive about the public land DIY style of hunting? You know, I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. I've always done things the hard way, and I think it's because there's more reward in it. I think we're in a day and age where everybody wants instant gratification. They want um, instant results. I mean, look at look at the technology. Look at the iPhones. Look at you know everything from text messaging to um, paying just by swiping a barcode on your phone. I mean, everybody wants that that instant gratification. But for me, when, when it's a journey and you've got to work at something and you're not always successful, when you succeed, man, it's the best feeling. 
And so, like, I, I could relate this back to my uh, my 2018 Idaho elk hunt. I had hunted that area for, I guess that was my fifth time there. And I learned so much during the, the five hunts and made mistakes. And, you know, you run into other hunters. You run into elk that you know have been pressured, and, and they just won't do what you watch them do on TV shows. And... To put all the pieces together, you know, I, I, I made my share of mistakes and missed bulls and I should have, should have had one on the ground, you know, at least several years earlier and just, just whiffed, you know, every bull hunter is susceptible to that. But anyway, when I finally got that bull, I can't describe the, the satisfaction, the gratification that, that that brought by doing everything myself. I didn't have a guide holding my hand or scouting, you know, months ahead of time for me. I went out, it was just me and my bow and and that elk and it was just the most incredible moment and i i live for that you know um, god's the most important thing in my life but uh bow hunting is just like my passion i love like i said earlier grabbing my bow going out on public land and just seeing what the day is gonna gonna bring yeah kind of making making your own luck yeah yeah and i think when you own property and i'm not bashing anyone everybody has their own um you know aspirations and has their own way but uh for me it's just like when you go into a piece of public land you don't always have a stand pre-hung and you're going out of your comfort zone essentially and i think a lot of people don't really want to do that but i think a lot of people when they actually experience it again like i said earlier it just makes you feel alive yeah that's a fact that, and I'm, you know, I'm not, uh, what I would call a religious type of guy, but I am what I would call a spiritual type of guy. And there's something about it just being outside. And I think bow hunting, um, is like throwing diesel on the fire. Uh, as far as spirituality is concerned, I really think that like that mixed with my love for the outdoors is just the, like, that's why I'm passionate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely, um, go to church, uh, regularly and, and I pray and, uh, you know, read my Bible and do stuff like that. And I, I, I can tell you that some of the, the most incredible moments I've had with the Lord are when I'm out bow hunting and I can see his creation and I look and see the things that he has made and it sends chills up in my, you know, up and down my spine. In fact, it's happening just right now as I talk about it. I just think of looking at the mountains, you know, as, as I'm going out in the morning, I hear an elk bugle, and I just think today is going to be a good day, and I yeah. I just thank him for it. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. All right. So we talked a little bit about, um, you know, the some of the articles that you write, but the, some of the magazines are specifically gear-related, right? You know, there's um, each, each magazine has usually an issue that's uh, solely – gear-based, yeah. um, a, buyer, a buyer's guide, if you will. And so, yeah, there is, there's a lot of equipment stuff. I guess I, I, I think a lot of the, the magazines that I write for have a good mix of DIY, hunting stories, and then gear. Um, yeah. you, you know, gear has had its ebbs and flows where some magazines are just so gear-heavy, and you can tell that it's advertising-driven more so than just, um, you know, organic content. And so I think I, I think I like the magazines the most, or I, I definitely like magazines the most that have a good mix of all of the above. Cause I do think it's important. I do think that 
that um, if someone's credible and they're talking about gear, I think there's a, a need for that. I think there's consumers out there who are undereducated. It's usually the guys that have families. They don't have time to research, and they just need somebody to kind of tell them, you know, this this bow is is a good shooting bow for this. You know, here's here's a handful of good shooting bows. Go to the you know, your local archery shop and try them and see which one fits you the best, and then go with that one or, or whatever. I think a lot of guys definitely do need that. So do you like writing articles about gear or do you kind of, do you try to stay away from them? You know, I don't think I've ever turned down an assignment ever. Um, I always try to try to keep, uh, keep, you know, work scheduled on my, on my spreadsheet for the year. And, um, if it's gear related, you know, obviously it's not as amusing for me to write about, but, and it, and it is a little bit repetitive because you're, um, you're looking at a lot of press releases, you're looking at high res images of the new products and it's cool to see all of it. But, uh, I guess I've been doing this so long that things don't really surprise me like they used to. So, um, <clears throat> it's definitely necessary for me income wise to do it. And I do, I do enjoy it, but, uh, it definitely doesn't have quite the same thrill as, you know, telling a hunting story. Okay. So would you consider yourself a gear nut? I would, and that's based solely on the fact that my family owned an archery shop for about eight years, and I worked there 10 years, and it was always kind of exciting, you know, even as a, a retail worker, and you're handling bows, you know, every day, every day, and when that box shows up with your personal bow in it, it, it always it's always excited me, and it still does for sure. But that's kind of how things started is it was always fun to get a new bow every year and tinker with it, learn it, tune it up. Um, and I'm always looking for, I don't believe that we've ever necessarily reached the pinnacle of technology. Now I think technology is, is kind of relative to your hunting style and your personal preference. I know a lot of people rant and rave about the new range finding bow sites for example and i don't have a problem with anybody using them but for example for me i can't use them i can't use one in idaho where i elk hunt and i use the same bow for elk that i do for for deer so it's not not legal and not possible for me to to switch to something like that so i think i'm i'm definitely a gear nut because like i said i'm always looking for uh new technology and maybe to get give myself a little bit more of an edge because Bowhunting is really super tough, and you, you need those edges to make the make good lethal shots. So that's definitely my reason for always, you know, kind of seeing what's out there and and trying to, you know, make my setup the best that it can be. Yeah. So, are you the kind of guy who, like, for me, I I'm a a wannabe gear nut, right? I don't like I don't dig into it as much as I would like to, just like you said, from time constraints. But for me, I really love tinkering with new setups and new arrow weights and, and shooting uh, all the new bows. Do you like to do that? Or are you the kind of guy who is says, you know what? I, I like X brand bow. I'm going to stick with X brand bow. Um, there's definitely, I definitely have preferences and it's based solely on, on fit and feel. It's really not anything to do with brand name or, or somebody I know or anything like that. 
Um, I definitely have preferences, but being a freelancer, I'm pretty neutral on, on what, you know, on what I, what I like and what I use. And, but, but on the same token, I will not use junk. I will not use something just because someone wanted to send it to me. If I don't believe that it's, that it's going to allow me to make a perfect shot. I will not take a bow set up in the woods that I'm not confident in. So again, it's, it's not so much about brand on different products as it is just like using good quality equipment that I know isn't going to fail in the moment of truth because we don't need any disadvantages. Bow hunting is hard enough. And when you've got a bull, bull elk or a whitetail, you know, standing 40 yards away or 30, whatever, whatever distance he is, you know, you need confidence in that moment to, to close the deal. And so I, I use equipment that I'm confident in. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. So, We've talked. We've kind of just been all over the board uh, this this first uh, twenty five minutes of the podcast. But I kind of want to I kind of want to shift gears and talk to you about um, like your youth and how you got into hunting. And it sounds like you kind of came from a hunting family and and they owned a bow shop and whatnot. So talk to us a little bit about your introduction into hunting as a whole. Yeah. So I had a bow in my hand since I was about four years old. And, um, I remember even making stick bows and, uh, you know, some of those early renditions didn't turn out all that great, but it allowed me to fling an arrow and have some fun. So, um, as far as bow hunting, my dad did it somewhat when he was growing up, but it was really my older brother, Joe, that kind of got us, you know, into it as a family and, I just can't explain, you know, I think it's just something that once I did it, I fell in love with it and wanted to keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I take it your dad or some uncles were like, were they the big mentors in your life when it came to hunting? So I think, I think indirectly my, my brother that I just referenced, I think, he was kind of always there. Like we worked together at the archery shop and he's very knowledgeable and a very, very good deer hunter. I don't know how, because he didn't really have a mentor. Um, he just was in the woods all the time. And, you know, I would probably never say this to his face, but he's, he's uh head and shoulders above me as a deer hunter. He's just incredible. <laughs> you know, he's, he's had granted, he's had some really good places, um, you know, to hunt over the years and he did get started kind of before and he, he did some of the the road trip stuff before that was all popular and hunting was you know exponentially better on on certain public parcels than it is today so you know that factors into some of it but so he you know i just kind of um was always inspired to kind of be like him as a hunter but then you know my dad was the one that uh got me started you know would take me out rifle hunting and stuff like that um my mom was probably the most instrumental financially um she always made sure that uh, we were set up with you know uh, equipment and licenses and stuff like that she she definitely took a genuine interest in helping us and 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 the tables kind of turned then because we eventually uh us kids that eventually introduced her to bow hunting and i actually was sitting with her when she shot her first bear with the bow and that was her first bow kill ever so it was pretty neat to kind of return that favor a little bit so there were a few folks that uh were instrumental hunting in general um i think 
I think being around my grandpa, my grandpa's got a huge gun closet and, you know, it was always fascinating for me to, for him to take me down there and show me the different guns and give me a little bit of history about them. And I would always sit and look out his window. He has an 80 acre parcel. I would always sit and look out his window and watch for a red squirrel. Cause I knew that that meant game on. I knew that he'd let me, you know, take either the 410 bore out there or a 22 and uh, take a crack at squirrels. And I, I, you know, shot dozens of them growing up and it never got old. And, and it just fueled the fire for me to want to hunt big game. And I just remember the agonizing days and weeks and months, you know, waiting to turn 12 years old, which at the time was the minimum to hunt here in Wisconsin. So once that day finally came, it was like, it was, it was probably a better day than getting my driver's license or graduated high school. I just felt just so incredible that I, that I could finally go hunting. Wow. That's awesome. Um, so as, uh, as you started getting older, I mean, yeah, you had a bow in, in your hand, but you know, kids start, you know, typically start hunting with guns. I mean, was this equal for you? Like you started hunting with a gun the same time you started hunting with a bow or did you hunt for a bow until you could, I guess, lethally or hunt with a gun until you could lethally hunt with a bow. And, um, so kind of talk to me about how that, that transition, as far as the weapons were concerned. You know, I actually grew up, uh, a bow hunter. Um, yeah, I did take a gun out my first several seasons, didn't have a whole lot of luck and honestly wasn't a great shot with the gun. Um, I did, <laughs> admittedly, I did miss deer and even my first year, I maybe didn't make the best shot just cause, uh, you know, it, it's a whole different dynamic and I grew up constantly shooting bows. So that's, that's what I knew. Um, so I, I did take my first year with a, a gun and, and, uh, that was fun, but the following year I, I got one with a bow and, and then a turkey that same year with the bow. And it just, there's something about watching that arrow fly that, that really speaks to me now to, to look at things a little bit differently. More recently, I've gotten kind of reacquainted with firearm hunting, both in the spring turkey hunting. And, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I'd gotten an elk last year out in Colorado. Um, I've shot a few mule deer and, and, uh, um, uh, a white tail with firearms. So, I mean, I, I definitely prefer the bow and I prefer the satisfaction, but I'm not, a, if someone says, here's a, here's a gun and here's a property, you know, not that I need someone to hand me a gun, but I'm just, I'm just speaking relatively. Anyway, if, if someone, you know, has an opportunity or if I get an opportunity, I'm going to jump at it. Hunting is hunting really, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. The bow is more satisfying, but there it's, it's all just so much fun. And it, uh, it's an excuse to be outside to, see animals and see different countries so I, I jump at the chance regardless yeah so for me I can you know I can say that in my life there was a definite like a big bag of bricks dropped on a specific time that I that you know made me say I am a bow hunter I love bow hunting um you mentioned that you know you pre- you basically prefer uh you know you prefer bow hunting but you're not necessarily a, a snob against guns what uh, was there a time in your life that you were just like, oh my God, like, yes, I've been a bow hunter, but now I'm a hardcore bow hunter. Yeah. Well, I think the, the transition to like becoming, you know, transition from being an archer to becoming a bow hunter initially, 
was when I drew first blood, you know, when I put that first doe on the ground with my bow. Because until that time, you know, you kind of have an idea what you think taking an animal's life is like. But, you know, you, you, you kind of have mixed feelings about it because it is, it is a sad thing. I still have remorse. Um, but, it, you know, I, at the same time, I know that God has put us here to manage the animals and to do conservation, and that's all part of it. So I'm definitely um, okay with, with, you know, the prospect of, of killing an animal, and I accept that as a responsibility. But as far as, um, you know, transitioning from just a bow hunter to like being hardcore, I think it was the first few DIY hunts and more specifically uh, my first elk hunt where I realized, okay, um, it's not going to go too well if I show up to one of these hunts and my body is not, you know, in shape. And I kind of learned that a little bit during my first elk hunt. Like I had definitely biked a lot and stuff that summer and uh, had previously worked out, but had kind of walking away from it for a while. And so, um, you know, negotiating those mountains wasn't as easy as I had hoped it would be. I mean, it's never easy, but I had hoped it would be more manageable. So I think it was when I kind of combined the fitness with bow hunting, because they really do complement one another. Um, when you're on these rugged DIY hunts, and I've never done like a sheep hunt or anything like that, but the elk mountains are just, you know, they're, they're unforgiving. And, you know, if it rains, they're slippery. And, and I think even the harder part though, is when you drop an elk, you got, you got, you know, 250 to 300 pounds of boned out meat that, you, that you're carrying out. And, uh, you you know, you have to have a, a fit body to, to come out of that. I mean, even at that, I was spent when we packed our bull elk out. My wife carried both front shoulders out in one load, which impressed me to no end because that's that was seven, a confirmed seventy pounds. And um, I I took one quarter out at a time, then a quarter, and then the the um, the antlers and the skull. And I, I tell you what, when we had that job finished, we just both crashed, and we we're like, <laughs> that was the hardest thing we've ever done physically in our lives. In fact. I still remember looking at her during the pack out and saying, you know, I've always wondered what this would be like. And now that we're doing it, I don't know if, if I need to do it again. Yeah. And of course that nonsense <laughs> went away once, uh, once we had taken a nap after the, you know, after the pack out, I woke up and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I would do it again. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, in some sick demented way, I am looking forward to my first time packing out an elk, uh, because, like you, you mentioned previously, like a glutton for punishment. Like I, this, this will be the, the third elk hunt that I've ever gone on this spring or this uh, fall. And the second time to this location where we don't have them pegged, but we know a little bit more about the area where they're going to be and, and whatnot. And uh, I tell you what, I would love to either help my buddy pack one out or me pack one out, you know, like just pack something out. And then to say to, to actually have a conversation where I can say, I know what it's like now. I know what it's like because until you do it, you really don't know what it's like. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, definitely had ideas what I thought it would be like. And when you're actually in that moment, there, there is, there is doubt. Like you start to think maybe I can't complete this job. Like maybe, maybe my muscles are just not gonna, like, maybe I'm just going to collapse in a pile here and not be able to finish. I mean, it really does occur to you, especially, 
I can't imagine, you know, both of the bulls I got last year, the, the, the rifle one was actually a relatively easy pack out and by any stretch, it was still difficult, but the, the archery one was about two miles. Um, as a crow flies, it was less, but about two miles with the, the ups and downs. And I just cannot fathom a tougher pack out. I know that people do it all the time. I, I've heard of, you know, five mile, six mile, whatever. Some people use horses, the smart people, I guess. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just, I really can't imagine it being any harder than it was. But I, like I said, I know people that have hunted in even more rugged terrain and, and had longer pack outs. So it is, it is a prospect in the, in the future that I could end up in a even tougher situation. That's right. That's right. You never really know what you're gonna, what you're gonna get. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. What are you, what are you looking forward to the most on this, uh, 2019 season? Once I got elk running through my veins, the, the, the feeling and the rush and the knowledge of what that's like, that's the hunt that I always look forward to every year. And we've, you know, just been doing an over the counter hunt there in Idaho. And, um, it's, you know, it's pretty good hunting. It's tough, but I think just the, just hearing the bugle, I, I guess I like the exchange between hunter and beast. You know, you're, you're actually yeah. speaking their language, they're responding, or in some cases I'm just letting them do the talking and I'm slipping in and trying to find an opening. Uh, but I think I feel more relaxed, more alive, uh, more focused when I'm elk hunting than anything else. And I think the mountains have a way of just doing that to you. Um, but I'm definitely, excuse me, I'm definitely hoping that I draw an Iowa tag. I just put in, uh, back here in, in May, I put in for, uh, my Iowa archery deer permit, really hoping I drew that or draw that once the results are out because, uh, I've been wanting to go there for quite some time and finally had, you know, three preference points and I have a, you know, a, a relatively good shot at getting a tag. It's definitely not a guarantee. So definitely the elk, definitely that. I've also, um, I'm also in the beginning stages of planning a coos deer hunt. Um, some people say cows deer. I'm really not sure what the, what the actual pronunciation is, but regardless, I have a friend in Arizona that has invited me down to hunt, you know, on national forests and stuff like that. And definitely not something that that I thought I would be doing this early in life just because it was never really um, a bucket list or a dream item for me. But now that I'm talking about it, uh, I'm really actually pretty excited because I've never been to the Southwest. Like Texas is kind of the kind of the furthest Southwest that I've been. So I'd love, I'd love to get to Arizona and really try that out. And like I said, put a bow in my hands and just head out on public land and give it, give it heck, you know? Gotcha. Well, that's awesome, man. Uh, so you got Iowa, you got elk, you got uh, Arizona for coos deer. Uh, so it sounds like you got a pretty full plate this fall. Yeah, I might also get in a September deer hunt somewhere, depending on how things shake out. Um, that's the beauty, I guess, of over-the-counter hunting is you can plan these things on a whim. And uh, if your expectations aren't super high, you can actually have a lot of fun and have a really fulfilling hunt and i'm i'm not one to take the first 120 inch buck that walks by i like to watch them i like to be in a new area i've never hunted before so just for me to have fun 
um, it, uh, I don't have really high expectations. I, I love, love to put an arrow through a buck, but if not, um, I've learned over the years that, uh, you, you take away something from every hunt, regardless if you're successful or not. You learn something every time you're in the woods and you experience something different. There's no two hunts that are the same. So yeah, I might, might squeeze a deer hunt in in September. I know a lot of people who do, you know, YouTubers and stuff like that who do a lot more hunts than I do. I like to do, I like to do hunts. I like to do fewer hunts and give them, you know, more time and more dedication. I uh, never really liked jumping from one thing to the next. Granted, you know, sometimes you get into an area that, for lack of better words, just kind of sucks and you're just really not having any luck. Yeah. Um, and in those cases, sometimes it, it helps to get back to ground, you know, or to try something different, but you know, you just got to keep your head up. Bow hunting is not easy. And, and so I've just learned to have tough, tough, thick skin and just roll with the punches, you know? Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, Darren, man, I really appreciate you, uh, taking time uh, out of your day and hopping on the podcast and, uh, BSing with me for a little bit. And, uh, I tell you what. Just like myself, I hope your your chigger bites heal up nice and uh, we can go out and get them again soon. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm anxious for those things to disappear and, uh, you know, just uh, start getting ready for fall and shoot my bow a lot more. And, um, yeah, like you said, maybe the next time we talk, the chigger bites will be gone and maybe we'll be swapping hunting stories or something. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to say thank you to Darren for hopping on the podcast, man. I love going on these kind of adventures right and regardless of if it's a trade show or if it was this media hunt that we recently went on uh, I got to meet really good people right and Darren is no exception had an awesome time talking with him had an awesome time uh, chatting with him here today on the podcast uh, and uh, I never really did ask him where you can find some of his writings but if you go follow him on social I'm sure uh, you can you can find out where he writes uh, for I think he writes for a lot of the major publications so just go do your own research and look at some of the uh, stuff that he's putting out there also huge shout out to all of you every single time I say this and every single time I mean it uh, you know go spread the word you know if you like this I want to say thank you go spread the word tell everybody about this podcast in the sportsman's nation because there's just much more to come if you haven't seen the trailer already for the new film titled tradition you need to go check it out it's on all of the social media platforms on nine finger chronicles and the sportsman's nation so go check that out the the full featured film will be coming later this month, and uh, yeah, I'm personally really excited about it because it kind of showcases our our annual turkey hunting tradition that uh, my family does, so I'm pretty jacked about that. Also, huge shout out to all the partners of the podcast, Hunter Safety Systems, Lone Wolf, Ripcord, Wasp, Ozonics, Prime. I'm not only happy to say that these companies support me financially and from a product standpoint, but also that these companies make kick-ass products, right? Products that I personally use. And I know that sounds so cliche coming out of my mouth right now, like, hey, man, I think you should give this a try because I use it kind of bullshit. But what I'm getting at is these are great companies, run by good people and they make kick-ass products and when a company is all of those things 
I really enjoy using them and I really enjoy talking about them and wanting to get those products into other people's hands. So there's that. Uh, so uh, go check out all the companies that support this podcast. That, that'd mean a lot to me. If you haven't already, go leave a review on iTunes uh, for the Sportsman's Nation or for the Nine Finger Chronicles or hell, any of the podcasts that are on the network and just leave a review, man. Uh, that That's what makes us better. And uh, I think that's it, man. Uh, subscribe if you're not subscribed. Follow along on social if you're not following along on social. And if you're going to be in a tree, please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good rest of the week.